Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for your warm welcome and uh, for the love that you've expressed to our family uh, over the years. Uh, we were with you on Friday night and just enjoyed hearing some of the great stories coming from our missionaries. And I'm excited that there's going to be an offering after this message. I'm speaking about uh, the feeding of the 5,000. So um, when we say about there's 12 baskets left over, I mean, uh, they were, those baskets were filled, okay? So we're, we're in great faith for a great uh, offering today. And uh, we're going to ask the church for a 20% uh, increase on last year. And I want to thank Pastor Danny and honor him for, t for his 20-year anniversary. So it's 1% for every year. So uh, can we give God praise for the 20th anniversary of your dear pastor? Let's give God praise, shall we, everybody? We love you, brother. Uh, we're so thankful for the, the welcome from Danny. He's been a dear friend. Uh, he's so kind. He's wise. He's one of the funniest men that I know and just so encouraging to us as a family. Um, by the way, I hope you get my British sense of humor as well. If in doubt, it probably is an attempt to be funny. Uh, so uh, I hope you'll sort of just laugh along with me anyway. Um, but I uh, want to thank Shades for caring for our middle daughter, Eleanor. Uh, our first daughter went to Samford. Our second daughter has come to Samford. So Louise, my wife who's here, claims that we've paid for all the daffodils and tulips at Samford University. And so um, that, that's uh, her theory anyway. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to Sterling Edwards, who couldn't be here this year, who's ministering in Long Island, a very dear uh, family to this church. Jana, of course, this is her home church. And uh, we've uh, also been part of that uh, partnership with Sterling. He preached for us this year as well. And I just want to give him a shout out and uh, thankful for what they're doing for that transition of ministry into Brooklyn, into the heart of New York City. And I know that they rely on your generous generosity, as do all the missionaries here. And no doubt the giving goes way beyond just what we see here today, but to many other causes as well. Um, hey, I'm pastor at New Hope, and I thought I'd tell you a little bit about our church and the mission field that we see see ourselves in. Uh, we are a missions church. Uh, we have two campuses. Our north campus has been there for 136 years, but it didn't start growing until the late 70s when a pastor called Ike Reichard, who is just a remarkable pastor, came along and the church started growing incredibly. And then, then the mission field of the church began to change. And I'm grateful for my predecessor, John Avant, around about the year 2000 was saying, hey, our mission field is changing. And we've got to be aggressive and adventurous in the way that we make sure that our church reflects our community and also the world that is uh, developing around us in the USA. I'm thankful for that because it's given us an incredibly diverse church at our North Campus. And I tell you something, it's glorious and it's really hard at the same time, especially when the nation is divided, when we don't all necessarily think the same thing. It stretches us and challenges us, but I'm so thankful for our North Campus. It's quite remarkable. And I'll tell you a little bit about that later. And then our South Campus, uh, we started the South Campus, and in fact, my pastor, uh, former pastor John Avant did before we came, and uh, we started a second campus before it was even cool. And um, uh, it's, it's, the Lord's blessed us greatly. It's about two miles away from where they filmed The Walking Dead. I thought you'd like to know about that. And uh, also uh, very close to just a, a few hundred yards from where they filmed some of the movies, Sweet Home Alabama. So it wasn't in Alabama at all. It was in Georgia. And so our South Campus is going really well, and we're, we're so thankful for the mission field that we're in there as well. And I would say, if ever you think of Atlanta, please pray for us, that God will bless us, and just do great things in our time. So that's kind of my prime uh, missions field, but I'm so thankful to be here on this special Mission Sunday, because New Hope's a missions church as well. We weren't really a missions church just 17 or 18 years ago. 
And uh, I'm, again, so grateful to my predecessor for just saying we're going to be a diverse church. We're going to be a church that reaches to the nations. And uh, we've got a very similar story to your own. I think yours is larger than our story. But we've been in many nations and seen God do some great things. And I'd like to tell one or two stories about that. I'm going to ask you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 9, everybody. And uh, while I'm turning there, people often ask me, well, how did you get to America? Well, uh, I'm, I'm pastor at New Hope because of New Hope Missions. New Hope Missions was in partnership with my church in Brighton in England for many, many years. When John left, uh, we were completely shocked that the church put our name forward. They'd been searching through uh, America. They couldn't find enough Baptists in America. Uh, they'd been looking uh, uh, through, through a number of uh, pastoral names. And uh, when uh, it was suggested to us, Louise just said, well, no. And uh, I remember when, when uh, that was first mentioned, I just started weeping, not because she said no, but I just sensed that God was up to something. It was not on our radar at all, but God called us here, and um, we're so thankful for the, for the church for uh, inviting us along. And, uh, but I want to tell you another story. Very recently, we've got a new uh, South Campus uh, campus pastor, and Ellis Daniel was part of that mission trip that we do to Wales, where New Hope goes to Wales, my former church goes to Wales, and a church in Texas, First Mansfield in Dallas, Texas, also comes to us and uh, has a tremendous impact in the Welsh Valleys. And I'll tell you about that later. But uh, we've recently invited Ellis to come onto our South Campus team. So New Hope got the, the senior pastor from missions and the South Campus pastor from missions as well. So the Lord can bless you back along the way. Can I have an amen on that? Okay, we're gonna turn to Luke 9. I'm reading on the NIV. I just discovered this morning that we use different Bible translations. So this will be on the screen or you can kind of readjust your iPad or your iPhone and get a different version right now. But we're telling the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So we're gonna start at verse 10 of Luke chapter 9. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. And they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Verse 14, about 5,000 men were there, but he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. You see, even Jesus believed in the Sunday school principle that we have to be in those small groups, amen? The disciples did so. Those four words are very important. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, and all God's people said, amen. I'm going to ask you a question right now. Has anybody ever experienced a miracle? Well, let me tell you something right from the start. If you've been born, I believe that you are a miracle. Can I have an amen on that one? By the way, you're allowed to encourage me along the way and get involved in this conversation. That's all right. 
If you've been born, I mean, don't you agree, everyone, that's a remarkable miracle. In fact, if you're still alive, especially if, if you are famed for being so inept practically around the home, just the fact that I'm still alive, I think, is a miracle. And, you know, just the way that we drive around, and I don't know if it's the same as it is in Fayetteville, uh, Georgia, but everyone's texting and roaming all over the road right now. I think it's a miracle that we made it here to church this morning. Uh, there are so many miracles. Even this morning, to me, it's a miracle that uh, Mark and Chris, who are members at the South Campus, and, and uh, when I sit down on the, the front row, Mark and Chris would just be two rows behind me. And that was the fellow that came in and gave me a great big hug. Where are you, Mark? I just saw you this morning. Would you stand and give me a wave, brother? Uh, where is he? Hey, Mark. Hey, can we give it up for Mark? I think that's a miracle that uh, he didn't know I was preaching here today. Mark has just moved to Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, to work with Marco's Pizza. Did I get that right? I think I'm on the right road there. And uh, that blessed me so much. And every day in my life, don't you also experience the gracious hand of God, how he sovereignly just pulls things together in our life, and God is at work all the time. And so, uh, if you've just been born, that's a miracle. If you're still alive, that's a miracle. And let me tell you, the greatest miracle was when I was born again. Anybody else here being born again? Give me a wave if you've been born again. What an amazing miracle that is. That's your first resurrection when you were raised with Christ, and we're going to be resurrected and be with him in glory forever. You know, I never went to church uh, in Britain. I got some fellow Brits on the front row. Frankly, in Britain, church is considered quite a joke. So we grew up with the idea that if you were to invite someone to church, they would laugh at you. You know, my family were a sporting family, and so um, it, it was always rugby or cricket or golf on a Sunday morning. And my grandfather and my dad would often say, hey, we're off to see the vicar. And I thought, well, aren't these spiritual men? Or We're off to see the minister. That's what the vicar is in the UK. They were actually going to the pub, of course, but that was their very polite way of saying Sunday morning uh, that why they were going out. And so none of my family went to church. And I was surprised when a punk rocker, his name is Al Shaw, who was the worst behaved person in my school, who was always in trouble, he started changing. His life started changing. And then one day he came up to me and he said, Reese, he basically said this, Reese, he said, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. And, and I just, I knew that he was true. I don't think I was any worse than my friends. I was just a regular British boy. I believed in God. I believed in the Christmas story. We used to have the Bible at school, didn't we, guys? You would have the Bible at school, and so we knew the Jesus stories. We just didn't know Jesus for ourselves, most of us. And he explained to me that I was a sinner. I was going to hell, but the good news is that Jesus died on the cross to be the sacrifice of my sins. And I knew that it was true. It suddenly all made sense. So there and then I asked Jesus into my life, it completely changed my life, and uh, I just thank God for, for the miracle of the new birth. And if you're thankful for Jesus Christ and the transformation that he brings in our lives, would you give God praise, everybody? Let's give him thanks. But with all these miracles that we have experienced, all these wonders and answers for prayer that God has worked in our lives, and we're, we're very thankful today, and thankful for the amazing work that our missionaries do and that this church does, I hope you also know what it feels like, because I feel this all the time and even feel it now. Lord, I've only got five loaves and two fish. And there are some days when, and I, I just want to give a shout out to our missionaries. And by the way, I didn't used to say this, but I say this all the time now. I love missionaries. And you guys are as, as unusual and strange as I am. <laughs> I thank God for you. You're an incredible bunch. And now you're scattered around the congregation, and you are actually going to be taking up the offering. We're going to be bringing the offering forward, and it's going to be a very sweet time that we're going to experience together today. But I know that missionaries often feel we've only got five loaves and two fish. 
You know, this great church, Shades Mountain, sends us out to our mission field, and sometimes the prayer letter for the month is, uh, I had a really good conversation with somebody. And it can feel like not very much, and it can feel very different from the Bible Belt, although I call this in the South where, where we live together, Atlanta, Birmingham's pretty much the same, with the backslidden Bible Belt, amen? And, and so we are blessed with so many things, but very often on the mission field, it can feel like we've only got five loaves and two fish. And by the way, that's why we send people into places like that, where there isn't much going on. And perhaps there are some here today, you think, well, Pastor, it's really hard to get involved with, with this giving thing and this, 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 this going thing. It's hard to really feel connected to World Mission because I'm struggling just to keep my head above water, struggling just to, to do life. It's, it's hard to seek first the kingdom of God. It's hard to reach other kids when I don't even know my own kids. You know something I preached uh, from this passage in January? Louise was with me there in Wales in a little place called Troideru. It's actually quite a well-known place in the UK because just two miles away, a disaster took place in 1966. Uh, the word Abavan means something to all British people because uh, in October 1966, a, a landslide from a coal tip ran down the hill into a school and 116 children and 24 adults were killed. Uh, we've been to Abavan. In fact, our choir will be singing on the very site where it took place this summer. We've been blessed to, to go to what is very hallowed ground. And uh, so, so Troideru, where we preach, has seen tremendous tragedy. All the young people, just imagine an entire generation wiped out from those villages. And so uh, it was a privilege to speak at uh, Tabernacle Troideru. Uh, Evan Roberts preached there in the revival in 1904. In fact, very often they say that's the house that Evan Roberts stayed in. Uh, many believe it was the greatest revival in modern history when God gave Evan Roberts a vision for 100,000 souls to be saved. He gave Evan that vision in September 1904. By April 1905, 100,000 people had given their lives to Christ. Wales was in tumult. The whole nation was turned upside down. Uh, the, 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 the Western Mail, the Welsh newspaper, stopped reporting the sporting scores and started, and I've seen the copies of this, started reporting the conversions in each town and village in Wales as thousands and thousands of people were coming to Christ every day. It was a remar remarkable revival. In fact, it was often said that the revival waned in Troy de Rue when the Reverend Peter Price started preaching against, a very respected man started preaching against the revival, and Evan Roberts got deeply discouraged, and some believe he even had some kind of breakdown through the exhaustion of the revival. We pray for a revival, but it's often a painful thing, and it's a difficult thing, but it was a glorious thing because it was especially a revival of young men. Many men came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Satan comes on the attack 10 years later. 40,000 young Welshmen were killed in the Great War. Interesting how the devil works. Then came industrial decline and people moved out the area. A huge spiritual decline came upon the nation. So where I am preaching in Troy de Rue to have 40 people was pretty awesome. The first time we visited Troy de Rue uh, 23 years ago, there were just 20 people in the church. In fact, there, that very weekend, um, the, the church roof was on the floor. The church roof had completely collapsed, and so we had to meet in this little hall with just 20 people. And so for the church to have doubled in size in 22 years, I think is a glorious thing. But can you imagine, there I am in that situation where they've seen so much blessing, and now a complete reversal so that Wales is considered an unreached people group. 
The Rhondda Valley in 1905 was considered the most churched place in human history. There's never been uh, a place in human history that was as churched as the Rhondda Valley. If ever you've sung the song, Bread of Heaven, it came from the Rhondda Valley during that great awakening time. Well, the, le- the last official census was taken in 2002 on the Rhondda Valley, less than 1% of the Rhondda Valley, about 90,000 people in that particular valley, less than 1% actually attend a church. So it's now an unreached people group. And so the times have been hard, it's been difficult. And when you, when you support guys in places like England, you think England, they had Spurgeon and all those great teachers, John Wesley and Whitfield. Well, sometimes it can be a real spiritual wilderness, but let me tell you something, God is on the move, amen. And uh, so what a blessing it was for that church to, to hear, we've only got five loaves and two fish. They could really relate to that. And we may not relate to it in the same way, but I think we should. And I think, I think I need to relate to it right now because frankly, it's not about what I can do. It's only about what God can do, what Jesus Christ can do through someone who says, I've only got five and two, but Lord, I'm handing it over to you. They actually gave everything that they had. And so uh, I wanna share very simply this morning two points. The first thing I want to say is that Jesus Christ in our passage here, Jesus Christ works miracles for us. Can we say that together, everyone? I'll, just, I'll say it, then you can repeat it. Jesus Christ works miracles for us. Can you repeat that? Jesus Christ works miracles for us. He does things for us. Let's look down at the passage. The crowds are after Jesus. This is a spontaneous seeking of Jesus. It's more than a heaven-sent revival. The heaven-sent Son of God is here. The kingdom is breaking in and breaking out, and the countryside is alight with excitement for Jesus Christ. Perhaps there were mixed motives. We know that they had, many of them had a false view of the kind of Messiah that Jesus actually is. But he, I love this picture of the countryside coming alight. So this summer, we were in a place called Trikunan. And when the revival broke out in September 1904, the very first mission trip that Evan Roberts went on was to a place called Trikunan. The evangelists had dropped out through ill health, and so he showed up with four young ladies called the Singing Sisters, and the whole congregation was very offended by their appearance because they were a little bedraggled because they'd been staying up all night in prayer meetings. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They started preaching. There weren't many people there. And by God's strange design, people started coming into the church. It was said that um, the, 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 the proudest lady in the church repented. I say hallelujah for that when the proudest lady in the church repents. And then some skeptics came along. The church was not by now filled, and Evan had to go from church to church to church. There were loads of churches close by. He would go from church to church to church. The place was filled. The Atheist Society decided to show up and cause some trouble. So an atheist went up in the, in the balcony, and while Evan was preaching, he goes, I must ask a question. I must ask a question. Evan ignored him. I must ask a question. He decided to disrupt the proceedings. He walked down from the balcony, and it was said, as soon as his feet touched the floor in, in the sanctuary, he came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, repented of his sins, and believed. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a wonderful? Let's give God praise for what took place in that place. And so what I'm saying is that even when Jesus was there, even when there's a move of God, there will be a mixed response. Not everyone believes, not everyone receives. Uh, But of those 5,000 that were there, eventually will come a pure church 
when the day of Pentecost comes, who believe in the Lord Jesus, and they go out onto the streets of Jerusalem, and 3,000 are saved. If you're taking notes, let me give you a quick A, B, C, D, E. Very quickly, it was an awesome miracle. Everyone say awesome. So awesome. That's very, very good. <laughs> Secondly, it was a big miracle. You know, all miracles are big, but the sheer scale of this from five and two to feeding and satisfying, you know, double the number of, of people here today. What an amazing, remarkable miracle that was. Thirdly, it's a creation miracle. The feeding of the 5,000 is a reminder that Jesus is our creator. He knows everything about us, but he's also our provider as well. It's a declaration miracle. That's the D. It's awesome. It's big. It shows he's our creator. It's a declaration miracle, and it makes it very clear that Jesus Christ is Messiah. He is the Savior. He's the hope of the world. Jesus took the cup. He took the bread and reminded us it's all about his body. And by the way, if you're thankful that Jesus died and rose again, would you give him praise, everyone? Praise his holy name. And it's a miracle. If you're waiting for the E, it's a miracle that says we can trust Jesus for everything. It's a miracle that points us to the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Everyone was satisfied, and there was more, a superabundance that was left over. So that's my first point this morning. Jesus does miracles for us, and we're thankful for all that he does for us. This is a marvelous provision miracle for the crowd. But there's something very significant about the way that Jesus involves the disciples in this passage. And so the second thing I want to say like I say, only two points, is that Jesus does miracles through us. He does miracles for us. But can we just speak that out again? Jesus does miracles through us. Everyone, Jesus does miracles through us. Oh, we want him to do miracles for us. We, we love when he does miracles in us and even transforms our heart and our mind. But sometimes the, we, we stop at that point and kind of make our excuses and say, I'm so busy that we forget that he's calling us to step out, each one of us, not just the missionaries, not just the pastors, but each one of us, every member, everyone who's in a Sunday school family group, everyone who's even on the fringe. And it's like, I don't really get involved in this kind of stuff. Jesus clearly is making a very powerful point to the disciples that he wants their obedience he wants their sacrifice. He wants them to surrender everything that they have and to join him in his mission. So I just love the way, verse 10, the apostles return. They report to Jesus what they had done. And in part, that's what GIC does. It's a, a great encouragement and inspiration to say, God has done great things. We report back what he has done. We need to know what's going on. They clearly are involved in the work. Notice that they were tempted, though, to say, send the crowd away. Even though they're involved, we sometimes think, well, there are limits to this involvement, and as soon as we hit the wall, as soon as we hit the next problem, we're very easily tempted to give up and to stop walking in faith. I came this far by faith, but we think I'd, I'd like to continue the rest of my journey not completely relying on God. So I wanna save up this big nest egg that I can rely upon. I don't want to trust God as my provider. I want to trust my retirement fund. And we need to be good, wise planners. Don't get me wrong on this. But I think very often we rely on our comforts rather than relying on the Lord our God. They were so easily distracted, the disciples, and they could easily have missed out on God's power. I think I want to testify that just about every major move of God in my life has had nothing to do with common sense. 
Oswald Chambers says that very often common sense is the one thing that stands in the way of trusting God. The disciples employ, I'm, I'm not suggesting we be ridiculously foolish. Um, you know, we should have good counsel around us. But I love the idea that Evan Roberts used to have of obeying every prompting of the Holy Spirit. I've generally found when I trust the prompting of the Holy Spirit, when I step out in faith, that's a much wiser thing to do than trusting in my own common sense, amen? In other words, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. You know, I was... Um, when a call to Brighton in 1992, I was 28 years old, and the church had specified that the next pastor of the church had to be at least 35 years old. You know, whenever a church says something like that, it's usually wrong, isn't it? And so uh, uh, they, they, they uh, saw my name, they rejected the name because they wanted someone at least 35 years old to lead this historic church, and I'm just 28, this, and I looked like I was 22 probably then, and um, so they said no. Then the Holy Spirit put them under conviction. They felt they'd missed the shepherd's boy in the field, and they called us to be the pastor. And when my name went forward to New Hope, um, we weren't looking for anything, and the church suddenly realized that I fell short on all the different categories that they, they required. They needed to have, first of all, the Southern Baptist. Well, the boys will tell you, there are not many Southern Baptists in the United Kingdom. I was an English Baptist, right? And so I had to be a Southern Baptist. Secondly, I had to have pastored a church of at least a 1,000 people. Well, there's not a Baptist church in the UK with a 1,000 people. My church was a big church with, with 500 people. That's a mega church in the UK. But I didn't fit any of the categories. And generally, that's been my story. I never fitted any of the categories. Danny, you're probably the same as well. And, so, and I thank God for that because you know what? It's, it's not about me, but it's about what God can do through a weak person with only five loaves and two fish. Can I have an amen for that? And you know, it, it didn't make sense. The mission to Wales by 2005 was going to another level. We, we, we'd been ministering to crowds of 30 and 40. By 2005, we were ministering to crowds of 200 and 300 and 400. And we, it was all going to the next level. People were getting saved, so it made no sense to come to America. But I tell you, friends, you just got to obey God, and he will make the way, the way clear. Can I have an amen on that? So the disciples are like, we've only got five Loaves and two fish. And Jesus goes, well, you give them something to eat. We've only got five loaves and two fish. Danny, I love the way that you testified on Friday night about some of the challenging days. I loved your vulnerability and humility, the way you talked about that. There are days, I'm mercifully going back a long time now, and it's much easier to talk about it when you go back 16 years, but maybe four years into your ministry, you described. You go, Lord, is, is this it? Uh, is, is this really um, what you have for me? And you kind of, if you're gonna stay in a church for any length of time, you've probably had to die and rise again several times over, and I can relate to that as well. And I love your vulnerability just by saying, you know, I haven't got much, but I believe that we have a great God. And by the way, if you believe that Pastor Danny made the right decision to press on in this place, brothers and sisters, can we give an exuberant cheer of praise and give God praise everybody? Thank you, brother. Thank you. Wow. Now, I've uh, got back in touch with my pastor that baptized me after I got saved. The Reverend Ian Burley was my pastor for nine years. He encouraged me to go to the London School of Theology, and uh, I, I shadowed him one summer, and just uh, he's uh, an example to me of what a pastor should be. And uh, in, in recent days, I've been, I've been saying, Ian, can you give me some thoughts on the passage? 
And so uh, he's 73 years old now. He's, he's retired officially from ministry, but he's preaching every week. And uh, he just uh, said some very sweet things about this passage. And he essentially said, the boys, loaves, and fishes gives us the obvious message that the blessing of God can extend what we offer to him. And it's easy for us to think, well, if only, does that mean if I only just give a little bit, then it'll be multiplied? I would say, no, when we give him what we have, when we completely obey him 100% each day as the Lord leads us to, then the multiplication will be a supernatural multiplication. You know, at GIC, we're just planting a few acorns. Let me tell you something, when we get to heaven, we will be amazed at the mighty oak trees that will have come through the ministry of this church. And again, I give thanks and praise for you all, my brothers and sisters today. Pastor Danny, um, you're probably a little bit like me as well, that even though this is a big church, we're very blessed because everyone basically sits in the same place in Southern Baptist churches, isn't it? It's just like we basically know where everyone is. I don't know if you knew this. I'm letting you into a little secret, by the way. We kind of know where you are. It's kind of like a pastor spidey sense. You remember Spider-Man with his spidey sense? We have like this pastor sense. It's like we know when somebody's at the lake and we know when someone's, we know when someone's uh, been at baseball practice for a whole number of weeks running. And, uh, but, you know, the, the grief for a pastor sometimes is, is like, we know this is the most important thing there is to make Jesus Christ known, to, to build a vibrant local church uh, that, that is a blessing to the nations. And so sometimes when God's people kind of get distracted, and I'm not saying it's wrong to go to the lake or the beach. I love the, the beach as well. But I think when that becomes our heartbeat and where, where we want to be all the time and when we lose passion for worship and giving and serving and when personal witness becomes a really rare occurrence, you know, that, that ought to grieve the heart of God and it ought to grieve, uh, it does grieve the heart of God, I should say, and it ought to grieve our own hearts as well. Jesus wants to work through his people. We're saved, he's blessed us, but he still wants to do great things through each one of us. Got, uh, got to know a pastor called Abraham and his wife is called what? Sarah. Abraham is about four foot 10. He's an Indian. He was born in a place called Kerala, which is one of the nicest, most beautiful parts of India. Then he got saved. He was about to commit suicide when he got saved. Uh, God gloriously transformed his life and God called him to Bihar, uh, just uh, south of the Himalayas. He would call it the Himalaya. And Bihar was known, it's a state of 140 million people. Think about that. One state, 140 million people. And um, the state of Bihar was known as the graveyard of missionaries. The graveyard of missionaries. Uh, they either got killed or they completely gave up. After eight years of persevering, not a single soul had come to know Christ. And God used this man Abraham nonetheless. He persisted. On one occasion, someone wanted to shoot him. And Abraham was in my church the other day and he was sharing uh, with his, in his second language, English. And he said, uh, and this man, he says, wanted to pull the button. He wanted to pull the button, he kept saying. And he didn't know the word for trigger. But a man was trying to pull the trigger and it just would not go off. And God spared his life. And here's the miracle now. Abraham is now the pastor of 1,700 house churches. Can we give God praise for that? Eight years of no converts. And now it's a glorious move of God. He's a remarkable man, and we praise God for him. He expects God to move. He expects God to show up in his life. And Abraham will often say, God, where are your angels? It's like, God, I'm stepping out in faith here. You told me to do this, Lord. You told us to build this orphanage, and that the Hindus are attacking us, and the Muslims are attacking us. 
Lord, you told us to do this. Lord, where are your angels? And he has story after story of how God came in and continues to work through him. When I was last there, uh, I preached on the Sunday morning, and uh, we had a great time of worship together, gave the gospel. There were some unbelievers there. We were taken back to our hotel, and then uh, we, we found out that, uh, I mean, Abraham was supposed to meet us a few hours later. We found out that something happened that morning. There was basically a fight that broke out. Some outsiders came. 20 riot police came. And on the way home, as other people were bussed home, uh, one of the bu buses went in the ditches, and two of the people ended up in the ICU. So you imagine, pastor, that's an eventful morning. You've had a riot at the church. You've had some of your, your blessed church members going into the ICU. So Abraham was a bit late, and we were like, where's Abraham? He shows up a couple of hours later, a little breathless. And we say, what? is everything okay, Abraham? And he told us the story. We're like, are you okay? And he goes, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. He's just used to that kind of mayhem going on around him. This little man, just four foot ten, he's a powerhouse for the gospel. I think he's a wonderful example that even though he's small, even though he doesn't have many financial resources, God is using him in a supernatural way. God wants to work and bless each one of us, and he wants to work through us as well. Can I have an amen on that? And then verse 17, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. From five and two came a double multitude to this, completely satisfied, and tons left over as well. It sounds a bit like 20% increase, Pastor Danny. Can we have an amen for the 20% increase today? Um, and so what does this mean for us? Don't we want the same miracle to be at work in our church today? Yeah? It, of course it works financially, and I've talked gently about that this morning. But of course it also has to work for us in our going, in the way that we serve, in the way that we bless our missions. And I want to encourage the missionaries today in the way that you serve. Um, please don't go home discouraged because you see all these resources. You go back to, to the way things are, and it's like, Lord, help us here. Let's just encourage each other. We have a mighty God who wants to do great things through us. And I wanted to just close by telling two stories of... Um, of the 12 basketfuls that are left over. And I wanted to tell you that leading a diverse campus, our North Campus, since Ferguson, through that very controversial election and aftermath as well, let me tell you something, it's not easy, and I would always appreciate your prayers. Uh, one friend that Danny and I, a mutual friend we have, a man called Mark DeMoss, who's like a church consultant, he believes our church is the most diverse church in Atlanta. And so we're blessed with that. It's glorious. It's wonderful. It looks like heaven on a Sunday morning. I tell you, the music, we've had to adjust the music quite a bit. We've had to adjust our staffing, the way you staff, the way you do music, the way you do or don't talk about politics. And generally, we don't very much because we've got bigger priorities, and that's Jesus. Amen. Um, so it's, it's a glorious thing, but it's also a challenging thing as well. And there are some days it's like, help us, Lord. We really need your help here. Give me wisdom, Father. But I just wanted to tell you about some of the people that are in our church that would not be in our church if we had just determined to say we're going to carry on as usual and we're not going to change. By the way, we, left, we lost around about the year 2001. Several hundred people left the church when our pastor made it very clear that we repent of the sin of racism and we want our church to look like our community, look like our city. We want our church to look like heaven. That was considered controversial in the year 2000. 
And so it was tough. But let me tell you something. If we hadn't pressed on, we would not have Al Mead in our church. Al's our community and sports minister. He's an, an Olympic gold medalist. Al was America's leading amputee athlete, America's kind of blade runner for 10 years. On one particular day, he broke the 100 meters, the 200 meters, and the 400 meters world record. He won gold in Seoul and silver in Barcelona, was an organizer for the Olympics in Atlanta in 1996. In fact, he was the face of the Paralympic Games. We've got the, the poster down in our basement still. We're so proud of Al Mead and Louise and I have been able to, to go to, to at least two of Al's three Hall of Fame inaugurations, the U.S. Athletics for the Georgia and Atlanta Athletics. Uh, if it wasn't for John Avant's vision to say that we're going to push on and do this, we wouldn't have Lee Haney in our church. Arnold Schwarzenegger won Mr. Olympia seven times, then along came Lee Haney and he became Mr. Olympia eight times. He's been on one of the uh, uh, presidential committees for, for health, incredible leader. Lee and Shirley Haney helped with our student ministry on a Wednesday night. An incredible mentor, incredible friend. If it wasn't for Pastor Avant's vision, we wouldn't have Mrs. Stephanie Johnson in our church, African-American, all these, I'm telling you, a principal of the year for the state of Georgia this very year. Turned a school around. She's got a six foot 10 husband and all her 11-year-old boys are over six. I don't know how she managed to keep hold of those uh, tall young boys who are all over six foot, let alone an entire school. But we're so blessed to have her. We're so blessed to have Dean Lillard, another award-winning principal who leads our men's prayer ministry. Uh, it, it, our, our prayer meeting on a Saturday morning for the men is kind of half African-American, half Anglo and international. I tell you what, it's a loud prayer meeting. And let me tell you, the Anglos, we love it. It's a kind of different prayer experience from what many of us grew up with, but we're so thankful for Dean Lillard. We're thank you, thankful for George Jordan, a NASA scientist in the 1960s. Can you imagine being an African-American NASA scientist in the 1960s? What a journey that man has been on and what a blessing he is to his church. Uh, Tony Bird sings for us on a Sunday. We've got some phenomenal gospel singers, and Tony Bird is, is one of them that stands out, Eleanor can tell you all about Tony. Tony wasn't able to sing for two of our presentations of the Living Christmas Tree this year because she had to sing at the White House. She's that kind of singer. When she sings at church, she, she just blows us all away. People will sometimes just weep because of the power that there is there. We wouldn't have Sonia Knight, who was in the movie with Beyonce and Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, The Fighting Temptations. Sonia is in that movie, one of the finest gospel singers in Atlanta. We wouldn't have Kent Hill, a Georgia Tech um, uh, legend, one of the great uh, players of all time. We wouldn't have Rosa Mansfield, who just has a burden for those who have been bereaved and every year writes 60 or 70 letters to those who have been bereaved and just lets them know that we're praying for them, we're caring for them. We wouldn't have my secretary, Valencia, who's an incredible uh, leader, and her husband, Andre, a brilliant lawyer in a, in a difficult community. We wouldn't have Kimietta, who leads the ladies. And I could just go on and on and just tell you that... Um, I love everyone who's here today, but I think we should be burdened for who is not here today because we are missing out big time. And our church heard that challenge in the year 2000, and we got a long way to go, and we make so many mistakes. I make tons of mistakes all the time. Um, but let me just challenge you that when we step out in faith, there's pain along the way, but there's even greater blessing that comes back, and there will be 12 basketfuls left over. Can we give God praise for that story? Because I want him to get the glory. I want him to get the praise. 
And I want to close with just one really little thing as well. This is like a personal thing, if I may share this. And this is about the 12 basketfuls left over. And I'm going to call this God winking at you. God winking at you. And um, my grandfather was a famous rugby player. And in Wales, that's the national sport. And they're grieving because they lost yesterday. They don't often lose two in a row. We've lost two in a row. So the whole nation is in mourning. But it's the national sport. I suppose if you combine the passion of Alabama and, and Auburn, you've got a little fraction of the passion that there is for Welsh rugby. It's like the only thing we got. And uh, anyway, my grandfather was like the quarterback back in the 1930s. He was my hero. He gave me all his memorabilia and his shirt. And, and uh, I just love grandpa. Then I got saved. And yet Wales just burned in my heart, as you've probably heard several times already with some of the stories I've told about the way God led us to missions. And, and essentially what, what happened was that God took a, a human passion for rugby and I surrendered it to him and it's become a mission field. And in Wales, I want to celebrate with you, in the last 23 years, we've been able to share the gospel with at least 120,000 people. And I'm just, I just can't believe that it's happened, but it, it actually has happened. And when we left America, my daughter Megan, my eldest daughter, is probably the biggest rugby fan of all. We're the ones, we've always watched the game together. Eleanor's pretty good at this as well, and Louise is very kind to us. But I, I, <laughs> but I, I was like, Lord, we're going to leave Britain. And it was like, are we going to ever go and see rugby again? I just wondered that. Now, my, though the, the ministry in Wales was, was phenomenal, I had no real contact with the world of Welsh rugby, and I just knew that there was almost no one that was saved in Welsh rugby, all these heroes to me. And so in 1991, I started praying for the team. Each member of the team I would pray for, kept praying. And the answers to, that, to those prayers, I didn't think it would come to be personal, but 28 years later, 2009, uh, I found someone who was a famous Welsh player who came to know the Lord, and we became friends. And he came over to stay with us, he testified our church. He's actually in our church's sports hall of fame. And uh, Garen Jenkins is the BBC commentator, uh, English speaking. And then I got to know Emir Lewis. Now, he is the BBC commentator for the Welsh speaking, for BBC Radio Cymru, which is the Welsh speaking. So Emir became a friend. And then I found myself during the last World Cup centered in England at the Welsh training headquarters. We were there for four days. I was hanging out with the team. They had no official chaplain. But uh, I, I had this prayer, Lord, can I address the team? Lord, can I, can I speak to the team? And uh, so that I've left America, and those doors have been closed to me all the time I lived in Britain. So I left Britain all the time those doors had closed, came to America, and then God opened up those doors. And so during the World Cup, I was able to get several former players together. We had a prayer meeting. We told the head coaches, hey, we're praying for you. And they said, well, we need all the help we can get. And since then, that's just continued. I was there just last month with one of the pro teams, spent five hours. It was defense day, by the way, if you want to know that. And uh, some of them were able to take my book, and I had some legends of the game signing. I, they said, can, can you sign my book? And I'm going like, I'm signing the book for Stephen Jones. Couldn't believe it. And I just want to tell you something that personally, that's been an amazing blessing. Uh, it's been surrendered to God. I want God to have all the glory. But, um, you know, when we obey him, it's amazing the blessing that comes back to us as well. And I want to encourage our missionaries today. Guys, you are awesome. And we love you. Scattered across the congregation today. I just want to encourage you that there's 12 baskets left over. And it can sometimes feel like you're just planting a few acorns. But I want to encourage you that God is raising up mighty oaks. We'll see it in heaven. But just occasionally, he gives us a glimpse of that 
on this earth as well. And so in conclusion, can we agree together that God, has, God does great miracles for each one of us, but God also wants to do great miracles, what? Through us. Great miracles through us. And I'm just thankful for what he has done for you, thankful for what he's done for Pastor Danny. And I'm optimistic about the offering, but I think we need to pray one more time. I'm optimistic that this is going to be a glorious offering that gives God all the glory and all the praise. In fact, can you even, uh, the commitment cards are on the end of our rows. Do you think you can even start passing those cards along? We're just going to kind of get involved. So, so usually we just kind of say amen and we have the invitation. But a part of our response to the word of God is to go, you know what? We're all going to get involved this morning. Uh, we're, we're dividing it amongst groups now. We're sat down in our groups, in our large groups right now, section by section. We're passing along our commitment cards. Please make sure that everyone has one. Don't be too spiritual to not, uh, too spiritual to not look at it. We want you to look at it. It's a spiritual, practical thing to do right now. Jesus involved the disciples practically. And I want to challenge you to give, brothers and sisters. I want to challenge you with the five loaves and the two fish to have that spirit of availability and obedience to whatever the Lord gives each one of us. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite Danny forward. But in closing, I gotta tell you this very brief story that uh, in, in, in my most recent mission trip with Louise in January, we arrived at Heathrow Airport, London. We were driving to Wales. We were on the M4, which is a bit like I-20, okay? And um, the snow started coming down. And we were getting a bit concerned because we were still two or three hours from our destination. And you know what happens on interstates in America when you get half an inch of snow. <laughs> well, the snow, especially in Atlanta, if you may know that story, well, the snow starts coming down. And uh, we, we were checking our satellites on our phones and we weren't entirely sure what the story was, where it was all coming from or where it was going. We called one of our Wales partners. His name is Andy Pitt. He's the pastor of Park Baptist Church. He's a very decisive person. In fact, he's preaching for me in uh, April at New Hope. And we said, Andy, what do we do? Do we turn off? Do we stay for the night close by? And this is what Andy said to us on the phone very decisively and clearly. And it's a word to the church today. He said this, Keep going, he said. The way ahead is clear. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, keep going. The way ahead is clear. And by the way, Andy was right. Within a few miles, the snow cleared. We arrived. The mission trip went incredibly well. But I want to encourage you to keep going for the way ahead is clear. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you for Jesus, for the wonders that you've worked in our lives. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the wonders that you've worked through Danny's 20 years of ministry. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the wonders that you've done in this church and through every mission agency and church plant. We thank you, Father, for what you have done for us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will work more and more through us as we make ourselves available, as we surrender to you. And we pray, Lord, there will be 12 baskets left over. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen.